balls, poor conditions, and, well, some pretty wacky results. It's been kind of a typical Roland Garros, apart from the ball complaints and the conditions, but the results... Well, they're all the same. Big seeds falling early and some big upsets coming along with some long, long matches in the advantage fifth set rule. Val Febo here with you on Breakpoint Podcast. It's been a weird tournament so far. A lot of players and men and women both wearing leggings and leg warmers and arm sleeves to try and keep themselves warm in the 14 degree temperature at Roland Garros. It is truly unbelievable. And to dissect it all with me is Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Val. And not only were there leggings and jackets and all that kind of thing from the players, what was probably even more weird was seeing the very some of the very few people that were lucky enough to be in the stands on, on Chatrier wearing puffer jackets at a Grand Slam. I mean, who would have thought that? I've, I've never seen that. It's, it's very 2020, isn't it? Extremely 2020. Mm. But however, 2020 has been weird, but... Well, we've got some wonderful because Steve from Ace Tennis Previews is going to join us on the show today. It's a fantastic chat just talking about his website and um, and what he does and also some picks from his point of view from Roland Garros as well as this man, Tancredi Palmeri, one of the best tennis or sports journalists in Italy, works for Bean Sports and has done stuff for CNN as well. He is a truly wonderful human being and he chats to us about Italian tennis. It is a chat you do not want to miss. It's been... It's been a weird tournament so far. A, like watching Roland Garros matches being played somewhat in the dark because um, the early yeah. the, the early sunset. But even even just the fact that, that Rafa has come out, bagged the conditions, saying they're too heavy. It's a very sticky clay court. John Isner loved them. He said they're kind of like a slow hard court, probably the most competitive I could be here. Um, and then the balls, Dan Evans, saying you wouldn't give them to your dog to chew. So it's... Um, <laughs> It's pretty unbelievable what we've actually what we've seen so far, and yeah, it's some of the results at the moment. I think well, some of the seeds that have gone down: Borna Chorich, um, David Goffin, Daniel Medvedev, Fabio Fognini, uh, Gael Monfils, Felix Auger, Ali Asim, um, and then Andy Murray losing that uh, Stan Vavrinka matchup, which we were all excited about. First thing, as we said on on our Friday draw show. But um, Stan got through that fairly easily, adapted to the conditions well. Nadal was okay against Igor Gerasimov last night, 6-4, 6-4, 6-2. And then Dominic Team and Marin Cilic team looked right at home. And here's what he had to say about the unique cold conditions at Roland Garros. I'm, I'm, I'm used to them or I know how to play in those kind of conditions, obviously, because in Austria we have many days like that. And then from junior times and when I started to play professional on the Futures in March in Croatia or, or Czech Republic, there were many tournaments with similar conditions, cold, heavy balls. So it's it's not really something new for me. And it's, it helps against uh, guys like Marin because um, it's a little bit easier to return many serves back in the court and to run down almost every ball so i like these conditions and um anyway we have to do the best we can because it's it's a very special year dominic team their us open winner after his first round win over Marin chilich it was pretty bloody impressive joel watching him play last night chilich didn't look 100 percent on but it team i think all the worries about his physicality and how he was going to play and how he was going to back up that US Open. He said that he was really happy with how he's done that. And he looked at home last night, didn't he? It was a very convincing win, considering he beat Chilich in four at the Grand Slam that he won back in uh, back in New York. Yeah, I mean, it's not really that much of a surprise when we think about the kind of player that Dominic Team is. Obviously, we know how good he can be uh, on, on clay, albeit, as we know, uh, it's a vastly different clay court season this year, a, a lot slower. but. Uh, of course, he has made the uh, the French Open final before, uh, only to, to lose against Rafael Nadal. And for a long time, we've been saying that he is quite possibly the next king of clay, if you like. Although, I don't think there's ever uh, going to be any chance of anyone coming close to uh, the throne that Rafael Nadal currently occupies. But uh, for what it's worth, um, you know, certainly I think Dominic Team is, is good enough to, um, to to win more titles on clay. And... Um, 
even though there was that quick turnaround between um, between events and, and between the surfaces going straight from hard to clay, and obviously Dominic didn't really have a lot of practice on this unique form of, of, of the slower clay, but I think he really set himself up for it this year and last year because even during the shutdown, he played a lot of tennis. He played a lot of exhibition events. Um, and as we know, throughout last year, he played more tennis than anyone else. So mm. looking at it from that point of view, it's kind of not really uh, a surprise, but I think what was most impressive was, was just how well uh, he, he actually did deal with the situation. Yeah, and he, he dealt like it's a difficult drawing now. He's got to come up against uh, former top ten player and Masters one thousand winner Jack Sock in the second round, who defeated Riley Opelka in a match that I really didn't expect to happen. To be quite honest, I thought that was um, I thought that was going to be a real um, a, a real whitewash for for Opelka. But yeah, Sock ends up getting through the Aussie men. Well, it's just been terrible. It has been an absolute disaster. Alex Dimonor falls to Marco Cecchinato, 6-7-4-6, love 6. Jordan Thompson defeated by Radu Alvot, 2-6-4-6-1-6. James Duckworth defeated by Tommy Paul, 2-6-3-6-2-6. Alex Bukic also defeated by Pedro Martinez, 5-7-4-6, love 6. And uh, Johnny Millman went down last night to US Open semi-finalist Pablo Carreño Busta, 6-3-6-2-7-5. So... Yeah, Joel, pretty pretty disappointing to be to be honest from a, from an Aussie's point of view. It doesn't look like any of them have adapted to the conditions, apart from maybe Polmans who who got in through qualifying and Vukic maybe um, and played the conditions. But oh, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty dire situations when you think about clay for the Australian men. Yeah, it is. Uh, clay has never really been that favourable of of a surface for for our men. Uh, and I think the reason for it is because there's just not really a lot of clay courts in Australia. Obviously, there's a lot of hard courts and a lot of uh, grass courts. Maybe we'll ask Mark Sports about that on the on the Tennis Menu Daily Show today, which, of course, we're involved with. That'll be out. Um, uh, well, actually, by the time this is out, the, the show will most likely be out as well. So uh, go, go check out the, the Tennis Menu on yep. Facebook, YouTube, and everywhere else. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm not really surprised to, to see some of these results. Um, you know, if we look at it, guys like, uh, well, actually all of them, um, except James Duckworth, have, have uh, so far have bumped into, into European players. Obviously, uh, Duckworth played against Tommy Paul. But you look at the other ones, Alex Bukic against Pedro Martinez, uh, Jordan Thompson against Ryder Welbot, Alex Diminor against Cecchinato, and Milman against Pablo Carreño Busta. So there's some very, very good mm. uh, clay quarters. Um Alex Vukic, of course, he's going to pocket some some nice prize money for himself just by making the first round and getting out of qualifying. So that's at least a positive. Um, worrying, though, uh, with Alex Diminor because he's lost uh, two from two on clay um, this year against uh, Cecchinato and also Dominic Kopfer, of course, in yeah. Rome. And he actually came out and said um, after the, uh, his loss against uh, the former semi-finalist, of course, and, and said that he was actually quite demoralised yeah. by his form. And I'm almost kind of thinking that it was, in some respects, uh, maybe a, a slump that he, that he had to have. Um, it's interesting because he's got a game that realistically should be uh, pretty good on clay, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it isn't really. So I don't know. I think I think maybe I think maybe it was a little slump that he had to have because I still believe that even though we don't really want him to sort of change the way he goes about it, I still think that he needs to add some weapons to his game and, and, and maybe bulk up a little bit because there are times when I, when I watch him and, and look at him and think even though he is this, you know, energizer bunny that just runs and runs and runs and gets every ball and he, he's a grinder. He's like a, he's obviously a new late and cured. And we've, we've said that a lot. I just do wonder sometimes uh, for him to take that next level, does, does he need to add more uh, to his game? And a lot of the time I find myself, uh, going back to that that thought bubble and and saying yeah he does need to add a little bit more power uh, to his game to elevate himself to to that next level. Yeah, I agree, Joel. Um, and I said that very early on in his career, and that he needs to to find a way to bulk up, and that, that's something that I just think it, it just simply has to happen because you can't be a top tennis player with a or you can be, but you can't break that Grand Slam mould with a with a frame like Alex's. It's just it seems a little bit too thin, and I think the muscle, if you can get that and try and really and really 
accelerate the pace of his shots. I think he can be a weapon because that speed is is very, very good. But we saw at the US Open his best Grand Slam result. But then when he ran into Dominic Team, Team was just able to outplay him. And Demonor didn't play a bad match that day. Um, team was just too good and way too good. So I think that's probably the ga- or the, the difference at the moment between Demonor being where he is now and going to the next level. But it's quite sad to hear that he said he's demoralized. I think that eventually he'll be able to come out of it. I think he just needs some time off. It's been a pretty full-on couple of months for, for Demon making the US Open quarters and then flying straight to Europe and then, you know, all these bubbles. And, you know, it's it's a stressful situation, yeah. I guess, for a lot of players. So, yeah, um, is, yeah. so yeah, I, I don't think there's, there's overly much. I just think he needs to take some time off and, and have a rest and really just, I guess, enjoy himself, try and find the fun in it again. And, and yeah, hopefully he can get himself back um, back on the court and winning some matches very, very soon. The one I do want to talk to, or a couple of matches I want to talk to you about before we do get to the women's draw, uh, Daniel Medvedev falls to Martin Fushevics, who is a giant killer at Grand Slams at the moment because he took down Dimitrov at the US Open. Now he's taken down Medvedev, 6-4, 7-6, 2-6, 6-1. Medvedev has now lost six matches in a row on clay. It is really poor. It's really poor for a guy that, again, realistically, should play pretty well on clay. His weapons can translate to the surface. It must be the conditions, Joel. It must be. That, that's all I can think of. Yeah. It's all I can think of. Those hard, sticky, and, and Fushevich has that, has that heavier shot. Maybe that's hurt Medvedev in a way that he wasn't expecting. Um because Fushevich is a big guy, so uh, yeah, it's it's I, I'm I'm quite shocked that he's out, but um, with how well he played at the U.S. Open, but uh, yeah, Fushevich is too good. Well, he lost yeah, to Ugo Umber certainly... in Hamburg last week, which Andre Rublev did win over yeah. Stefano Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas serving for the match uh, in the final, and then got broken, and Rublev winning at title number three of the year. Um, yeah, we didn't even go through that result. That's how crazy this year is, Joel. We have an ATP 500 final the day a Grand Slam starts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, Andre Rublev was was, was very good in that, in that match. Um, quite quite the contrast to to Daniel, funnily enough. He's um, he seems to have really uh, embraced the, the cooler conditions. So um, yeah, I mean, I still I really believe that Andre Rublev is quite underrated still. Um, I yep. think um, yeah, I think it remains to be seen uh, how, if at all, the short turnaround going from Hamburg to Roland Garros will affect him. But um, I'm, not, I'm not sure it will. I think he'll go far. I, I think he's a bit of a smoky. Yep, I agree. I reckon he's um, he's going to be very, very difficult to beat with the form that he's in. Just quickly, uh, yeah, um, Fabio Fonini out losing to Mikhail Kuhushkin. Wasn't expecting that. But Alexander Bublik, the underarm serve king, has defeated Gal Monfi, <laughs> who I said to watch out for um, after his start to the season and how good he was. He's uh, beaten Monfi in four sets, six four seven five three six six three. Um, Mark said on our Friday show, you know, if if Gail's in top form, he's going to be very hard to beat. But it depends which Gail you get. And well, Bublik has absolutely wiped him, wiped him on the clay. And that was that was it's a fantastic result for the young Kazakh who seems to finally just start to to get those results going his way. Anyways, we'll continue with a couple of results before we get through the women. Somehow, Benoit Paire has won. I don't, don't ask me how, Joel. Do not ask me how. Uh, he's defeated... Uh, who did he knock off? He defeated Sonwoo Kwon of uh, Taiwan, uh, or South Korea. South Korea it was. 7-5, 6-4, Still, again, not sure how he's done that. Um, Cam Norrie out to Galan of... Uh, Daniel Lin, uh, Galan of Colombia. Um, a lucky loser in five sets there. Um, Sandrin over her catch, 11-9 in the fifth. Casper Rude, the 28th seed. He's in a very, very rich vein of form. He's good on the clay. He defeated Yuichi Sugita 6-1. The unfriendly ghost. <laughs> the unfriendly ghost. <laughs> That's fantastic. Philip Kranjevic outs in four to Nikola Milojevic uh, of Serbia. So countrymen there. Um, Jan Leonard Strupp defeated Francis Tiafo in five. Um, so a lot of matches that have gone on last night was, uh, I think, a lot. And Karen Khashinov also threw. So, yep, a lot of good results for the big seeds. We'll move on to the women's side of things where there's been a lot more upsets uh, over this tournament. And uh, we'll start with, well, Simona Halep got through easy. Coco Goff 
destroyed Joe Conta 6-3, 6-3. An amazing win for her. Azarenka threw 6-1, 6-2 over Duncan Kavinich, but not before she cracked an absolute tantrum, saying I'm from Florida. Um, I, I don't I don't like these conditions. Um, Angelique Kerber, Kerber falling to Kaya Yuvan, 6-3, 6-3. Jung Shui over Madison Keys, who I said would make a semi-final, um, 6-3, 7-6. Serena Williams also threw, was pushed in that first set by Christy Ahn, but ended up winning at 7-6-6, love. So um, massive shift in momentum there. Kiki Burton's lost the first set against Katarina Zavatskas 2-6, but won the next 2-6, 2-6, love. Alina Svitolina threw 7-6, uh, 6-4 over Barbara Grasheva. Iga Swiatek over Marketa Vondrasova, last year's runner-up, 6-1, 6-2. That's a massive victory. And Anastasia Pavlichenkova has beaten Svetlana Kuznetsova, the former champion, 6-1, 2-6, 6-1. Renata Zarazua as well over Elsa Jacquemont of uh, France. I'm pretty sure it was 6-1, 6-2. The first Mexican woman in 20 years to win a Grand Slam match. Unbelievable result for Zarazu, and I'd love to see what Mexico City is doing right now um, after that result, because they generally get behind their own athletes. You see it in the F1 with Sergio Perez, and you see it with a lot of other soccer players as well. Um, So they are, yeah, they get behind their athletes, and fingers crossed that um, Zarazua is getting the same treatment. But, um, yeah, it's the women's, and even last night, uh, Garbinia Muguruza over Tamara Zidanezek, 7-5, 4-6, 8-6 in the third. That's not something that I was expecting to happen. Um, I really thought that Muguruza would be able to get through these earlier rounds with um, with minimal fuss. Svetana Peronkova with a big win over Andrea Pekovic, US Open quarterfinals. Peronkova beats Pekovic, former top 10 player, 6-3, 6-3. Sue Shea is also through. Um, Polona Herzog, Monica Puig. Killed by Sarah Arani, 6-2, 6-1. We can't wait to chat more Italian tennis later with Tancredi Palmieri. Um, Carolina Muchova, out. She lost to Christina McHale. Um, Bernarda Perra over CC Bellis in a battle of the young guns for America. And Amanda Anisimova also threw as well. So um, a lot of good results, but a lot of mixed ones as well so far for the women. The Aussies so far, it has been, where are we? I'm... Bloody hell, I'm all over the shop this morning, Joel. Absolutely all over the shop. <laughs> Dara, Gav- Dara Gavrilova over Diana Yastremska. Hasn't been a good year for Yastremska so far, and she's lost the coach, had a blackface scandal, and now lo- loses to Gavrilova, who did so well to get back her first slam in over a year. 6-4, 6-3 win there. Astra Sharma, the lucky loser, defeated Anna Blinkova, 6-3, 2-6, An amazing story. For Astra, hopefully she can continue that run. She suits the conditions well. Isla Tomjanovic out. Love 6, 5-7 against Maria Sakari. Maddie Inglis also out, falling to Ekaterina Alexandrova, 6-3, 6-3. So, better fortunes for the Aussie women. Um, but, yeah, the, the results so far, what's been what's been your take from the women's side of things? Um, yeah, it's been interesting. A couple of uh, a couple of upsets thrown in there. Um, I think there is a couple of results that stand out for me. Certainly, when we talk of uh, the the top players, uh, Simona Halep and, and Victoria Azarenka, who are two players I think are going to go very far. Simona won ten games in a row against Sara Sotivas Tormo, six four, uh, six love. She stormed home. She was looking in a, in a bit of trouble early, Simona, but um, yeah, roared home. So no problems for her there. And then and then Vika against. Uh, Danko Kovinic, as you mentioned, Val, she was the first uh, player to really kick up a stink about about the conditions um, on one of the outdoor courts. The match actually had to be had to be stopped, um, but in the end, uh, she she powered home. Really, really good though to see uh, Dari Gavrilova uh, back winning at, at a Grand Slam. We know she can do it, and um, yeah, to, to knock off uh, Diana Yastrzemska, even though she hasn't had the best year, is still uh, a very very good win and. Um, She's nearly halved her ranking in one win, basically, Darius. Yeah. She uh, slipped down to 788 in the world, but um, I think um, with that win, she's now up in the 400s. So hopefully, uh, you know, touch wood, she can maybe progress to the third round, fourth round, even further, ideally, mm. if she can, we hope. Um, but look, it'd be really, really nice to see her back uh, back up in the upper echelons of women's tennis because, um, you know, we know how, how exciting she can be. Obviously, it hasn't really gone... Uh, smoothly for her in the last couple of years. But, uh, yeah, good to see her back out there because when she does play and play well, she's such a breath a breath of fresh air to watch, really. She just plays with a smile and 
she's just up and bouncing and uh, she's just uh, she's just really great to watch, really fun to watch. So yeah. hopefully she can uh, hopefully she can keep going. And then not not to mention Ashtra Sharma. I mean, great to see a, a lucky loser uh, through to the second round and um, uh, Anna Blinkova. That's you know <laughs> she's no slouch. So no. a great win there for for Ashtra. And you know we talk of wins that can really elevate careers. For her to get to the second round is uh, is absolutely fantastic. Yep, agree, agree. And uh, just quickly before we do get to uh, our first special guest, speaking of Italians, Lorenzo Giustino winning the second longest match ever at Roland Garros over Corinti Mute. It was 18-16 in the fifth set, wasn't it, Joel? That unbelievable result. Yeah. Unbelievable result. Second uh, longest match ever at Roland Garros. Yep, behind uh, Fabrice Santoro. And Anna Clemont, two stalwarts of French tennis in the early parts of last decade and late 90s. So brilliant stuff from those two. But that's it for the women's draws. And let's get to Steve from Ace Tennis Previews. And he joins us now, Steve from acetennispreviews.com. It is a wonderful website. If you need any match preview, I would suggest you go on here. Comprehensive player analysis match and or player reviews as well. It's a wonderful website. And Steve... Uh, Resident Sumit Nagal fan. I can't say I've ever met too many of those, and we've seen on your Twitter that, that that's recently changed. So we'll talk a bit about that. But tell us about you, and thank you thank you again for joining us. And, um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself and um, and what your website's all about. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, sorry, I thought I'd bring Benoit along as well. I think he fits in well with you guys. Yeah, so from, just from for, for, the, for our listeners, he's um, he's got a Zoom background with Benoit Pair just behind him. So we no, we, we, we were very pleased <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Look, I've been following tennis, playing tennis since I was about three or four years old, was a ball boy at the Australian open for a couple of years, you know, growing up through teenage years, got to see, you know, the likes of Federer and the dial up close. And I guess from there, you know, had an interest in kind of maths and stats a little bit at, at school, but never really kind of followed on with that. Cause I went into kind of the, the health profession and, yeah, just continued following tennis and watching streams from pretty much any match anywhere around the world. Doesn't really matter where they might be playing. And yeah, I think just a, a general love and enjoyment of tennis. And I think you know, mainly previewing tennis is something that's that I've I've found the most enjoyment with in, in terms of previewing and either commentating or kind of monitoring matches. Just to kind of it's a bit of a challenge, kind of trying to predict what's what's going on but yeah as as you did mention i've uh, become a a bit of a sumit nagal fan not by <laughs> not by choice over the last couple of weeks but um copped a bit of heat the other week with with some of my uh commentary on social media so i've decided to embrace it a little bit so tell us a bit about that what exactly happened and what, how has that made you a sumit nagal fan as joel would like to call him the i'll let you take it joel oh <laughs> the rajasthan rapper <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, but yeah, well, tell tell us about that. Look, I like to you know, use a little bit of humour with some of my coverage of, of tennis, and look, I thought it would be um, would be funny to comment that Nagal had been knocked out of Roland Garros qualifying last week. So, just put in a little breaking news: Nagal out of Roland Garros, and you know, didn't think too much of it. Went to sleep, woke up the next morning and a lot of people had taken Nadal as Rafael Nadal and put a whole lot of money on a whole lot of other players to win the French Open thinking Nadal wasn't going to be there. So, look, I guess the, the moral of the story there is uh, have a bit of a proofread or if you're going to bet on tennis, maybe know the names of some of the other players outside the top 100. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, as, as you said earlier, Val, just, just to paint a bit of a picture for, for the listeners. So... Steve's background on Zoom is currently Benoit, Val's is Roger Federer, and mine at the moment is Summit Nagal, so we're having a bit of fun with this. But um, <laughs> on that topic, I mean, with the Summit Nagal thing, it's funny because a whole, like every morning, Steve, while, while tennis is going on since the restart, I've been going on Reddit to sort of catch up with my overnight news. And a lot of the time, whenever there's a big tournament that Novak Djokovic is playing in, people always run in the R Tennis uh, subreddits with, breaking Novak losers in the first round and then they're talking about Dennis Novak so it's yep. like the same thing <laughs> and the amount of people that get fooled is actually quite funny it's it's really good but serious talk now we've got a very very interesting French Open on our hands a lot of upsets yep. already and obviously there's been a lot of talk about the balls and, and the conditions and and all that jazz so what have you made of things just generally so far 
Yeah, look, it's 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 looked challenging, and I think you know just just looking at, I think outside of the Australians, it looks like everyone else is either in track suits or you know long sleeves or trying to trying to handle the the cold conditions a, a little bit differently. To you know, I think I saw Maddie Inglis and Astra Sharma are some of the ones braving the conditions a little bit more than others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's obviously unlike anything we've seen in Paris, you know, over the last couple of decades in terms of the weather and the conditions, and look, adding the adding the new tennis balls and, you know, I guess there's a lot of commentary around that. Um, ultimately, I think it's it's going to be more of an issue for the, you know, the players outside the top 10. I mean, I saw, you know, this morning Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal were pretty happy with the conditions, but look, I would be too playing under a roof on centre court every time. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think, I don't think we can take too much from, from what they're saying, but look, you're always going to get, by the looks of things, it's most of the players that lost in round one seem to not enjoy the tennis balls and, you know, the players that did win in round one seem to not mind it so much. So, look, it is going to be – it's a challenge for everyone. Um, but I think it's um, it's kind of showed, I think, particularly with a couple of those women's matches, um, it, it shows the benefit of having a bit of patience within the rally and, and trying to really pick your spots and, and not just trying to blast winners because I think it was Kiki Burton's and Simona Halep said as soon as they stopped trying to hit winners and play with a bit more margin, then they actually – you know, their, their tennis did improve. So – yeah, it, it looks like it's been a bit of a challenge and it doesn't look like it'll be getting any easier. Yeah, and it's been interesting because I know Val and I have been talking a lot about whether it's going to favour the, the big servers and a couple of them have already played. The the, the big Americans, John Isner's played and he won, but then look at a guy like Raleigh Opelka and he lost against Jack Sock, who was obviously a qualifier and he's probably had that familiarity because he's gone through, mm. gone through qualifying, um, had those three matches. So... It's interesting. Um, I mean, we were talking about that, but it kind of seems like, at least at the moment, a bit of a, an even kind of playing field so far. Yeah, I think it, it is certainly balanced. and It doesn't seem to be favouring anyone in particular outside of probably the qualifiers, as you said. There, to, you know, the benefit of having three matches on these courts in these conditions has, has certainly reaped the rewards. And it seems like that more so than, than any of the other recent Grand Slams we've had a, you know, we haven't, haven't seen the success I think from from qualifiers early and you know particularly some of the the bigger names and obviously overnight the likes of Medvedev who you know hasn't been great on clay in the past but did make a good run last year in a couple of the lead-up tournaments really struggle in the conditions. Yeah it, it has been weird and, and seeing a lot of these players struggling in their conditions Medvedev I think it's we were talking before six matches in a row that he's lost on clay now and and for the world number four it's mm. pretty pretty poor but um, looking at it, John Isner's even said that it's like a very, very slow hardcore. Is this is this a slam that might, well, unbeknowingly to, to all of us, but maybe it might actually suit John Isner to go on and have a big run. He'll play possibly Rafa in the fourth round. And, you know, could he push Rafa again like he did 11 years ago? That's the thing. He's been a bit of a, he's been a bit different to a lot of the other big guys on, on tour, John, and, Look, it's one of those ones like I kind of wish we saw these kind of conditions for him, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago mm. when he was closer or, you know, in his prime and, and playing well. But it, it's hard to see him kind of put it all together for, you know, to make a bit of a deep run here. Um, yeah, it, it's tricky. And obviously he did have a, a straight set win in the first round. But in terms of his, his competition level, it's it's certainly going to increase pretty quickly over the, the next couple of rounds. But look, I would be very surprised to see... Um, to see Isner here late in the tournament. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it'd be good for him because, you know, he certainly needs the form, but I, I would be, I'll be very surprised based on the tennis of, of some of the other players in, in his section of the draw as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I reckon it's probably clasping at straws there. But um, looking at the women's side yeah. of things, Simona Halep has been mm-hmm. really good um, over the clay season so far. She won in Prague before the, um, the American swing and then winning Rome last week and now, heading to, or two weeks ago, I should say, and now heading to Roland Garros, a good win over Sarah Soribes Tormo, 6-4, 6-love. Is she the one to beat? And which of the players in that women's draw, in your opinion, are the ones that will challenge her all the most? Yeah, I think she's she's definitely the one to beat. And look, she's, on reflection of the last month, she's, she's made the right decision to not go to the US Open. I mean, her form coming in has been... Exceptional. I think she was down two four in that that first set against Cerebes Tormo, but um, you know was able to win the last ten games in a <laughs> row. So look, she's um, she's going to be very tough to beat. And as we said, with you know with the conditions a little bit slower, 
you know, think back to last year, I think Anissa Mova was able to blow her off the court in some pretty favourable conditions for the American. But good luck trying to hit winners past Halep consistently enough to to win a couple of sets here. But look, looking to the other other sections of the draw, look, it's... I think, you know, I'm, I'm expecting a, a pretty deep run from Elise Mertens, who has looked good on both surfaces since she's come back. I think, you know, she started with a loss, but since then she's, you know, been going deep in pretty much every tournament she's been a part of. If you want to go for a bit of a long shot, maybe a, you know, a Putin saver or someone to knock off, if she can get through um, one of the qualifiers today, you know, I'd, I'd love to see her. I think she, she might be due to face Azarenka in the third round if they both get there, but you know, there's, it's, I'm really fascinated by the women's game at the moment with the spread of players and, and, and talent that, you know, you can go as far down as, you know, Elena Rybakina and, and these other players who are coming through and, and really pushing up to the top that it is a very wide open major from that perspective. But I, I think, you know, Halep is definitely the one to beat, but I feel like whoever beats her, I hope they're rewarded with either a deep run or a, or a title here. Mm. Speaking of talent, Steve, someone that we're always talking about and we keep saying it's it's hard to believe that she's only 16, but Coco Goff, yep. um, she mm-hmm. just seems to really thrive on the Grand Slam environment. And, I mean, some of the players that she's beaten in slams this year, like Naomi Osaka and, obviously, uh, Joe Conta just, just the other day. Um, I mean, how, mm-hmm. like, how far can you see her going? Because I, I look at Coco and I think even though she does clearly enjoy the big stage, she seems to be a little, at the moment, and I guess it's completely understandable, a little sort of temperamental in the fact that one day she can be hot and the next day she could be a little bit a little bit cold. Is that how you see it? Yeah, look, uh, she's a tricky one to really get a read on, obviously, because, you know, she did burst onto the scene and, you know, we, she's kind of gone from zero to 100 really, really quickly thanks to her efforts at Wimbledon and, you know, knocking off Osaka at the Australian Open. But, look, I, I think... Clay probably, it's still going to be a little bit tricky for her because, and looking over her matches over the last couple of weeks, she's, opponents really attack her second serve. I just don't think there's enough yeah. there. You know, unless she puts a real, really high percentage of first serves into play, she's going to find herself in trouble against some of these better players. That being said, it's it's impressive at her age to have the problem-solving skills on court that we see from her. You know, I watched some of her match against Conta and, you know, and she, I think she said in the press conference afterwards that she's happy to, you know, she, she just started hitting forehand slices and trying to take the pace off the ball, acknowledging what Conta's strengths were. And it was it was nice to see, you know, that discussion around that problem solving of, of seeing, well, what wasn't working early on? What can I do to actually change it? She said she doesn't practice forehand slices, but, you know, she felt like the moment called for it. And, you know, now she's in the second round and it'll be a tricky second round for her. Now she's, you know, flipped into being a, a favourite in her position. But look, it's it's, it's going to be tough to see her make a, a really deep run unless she really finds her first serve for, for consistently over, you know, the next couple of matches. Yeah, I agree 100%. It is going to be really difficult. We saw the problems in Rome as well. But Steve, thank you very much yes. for joining us. Before we do let you go, winner for men and winner for women. Oh... Winner for the, I mean, look, it, it feels like it's a pick of three on the men and just the, the advantage of Novak Djokovic being on the other side of the draw to team and Nadal probably makes me me head towards Novak uh, for the men. For the women, I mean, I don't want to, I don't just want to say Halep just for the sake of, you can't you can't pick favourites all the time. I, I think Halep will yeah. will certainly be, be there at the, the end of the tournament. But look, maybe a Elena Rybakina or someone to, you know, pull a little bit of a surprise there. Is someone to keep an eye on, and look, I, I'd like to see at least Burton's kind of be rewarded good form. Um, I just, again, going through that, it's it's hard to go past Halep at the moment in the form she's in. So, look, I'm going to have to round back and, and pick a favourite. Sorry, guys. Nah, that's okay. I think yeah. both of us picked Halep as well, so no problems yep. there. Steve from Ace Tennis Previews, thank you so much. Remember, you can look at acetennisprevues.com or follow Steve on Twitter. At Ace <laughs> underscore Previews. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Steve, for joining us here on Breakpoint Podcast. And it's been a pleasure to have you on and hopefully we'll chat to you again very soon. Sounds good. Thanks very much for having me. Steve from Ace Tennis Previews there. But stick around. We've got another guest, Tancredi Palmeri.
And Joel, only four Italians have saluted at a Grand Slam. Nicola Pietrangeli in 1959 and 1960 at the French Open. Adriano Panata at the 1976 French. Francesca Schiavoni at the 2010 French Open. And finally, Flavia Panetta at the 2015 US Open. And look, it might be happening very soon with some of the young crop coming up from Italy. And it's time to chat to our next guest too. I think he's fairly passionate. If you hear this next bit of audio, I think we might be able to pick up uh, where he comes in. started favoring, is it Cecchinato? Cecchinato? Cecchinato, John! Cecchinato! Cecchinato! Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, Tancredi Palmeri from Bain Sports in Italy and CNN joins us, one of the best and biggest Italian uh, sports journalists in the country. And uh, Tancredi, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint here in Melbourne. How are you? Buongiorno, buongiorno. I'm fine. Thanks to everybody. And uh, thanks for uh, <clears throat> for all the nice words. And uh, yeah, when it comes to tennis, uh, I might say I'm, I mean, as a journalist, obviously, I'm always, uh, or I try at least, to be impartial. Uh, but uh, tennis, basketball, uh, and uh, Italian national team, uh, it's very hard for me to keep, to to keep the passion inside. I've been to uh, three different Olympics uh, uh, tennis tournaments. I've been to uh, some, well, to, to it, watching Italians at Wimbledon, yeah, by those Olympics. I've been to three or four, I don't remember, uh, Rome International. And whenever it comes to Italians, it's always very, well, very hard to, to, to hold it, I have to say. Well, Joel and I hold your sentiments as well because we're both um, of Italian heritage. So we um, so we definitely share the sentiments as well. Some of our favourite players are the Italians on tour. But who was the player that um, that inspired you as a youngster that, that got you into tennis? Who was your favourite player growing up? Uh, look, uh, I belong to an unlucky generation because... Uh, uh, I was born uh, in 1980, so basically uh, I belong to... Well, I am a proper millennial, because yeah. I was 20 in 2000. Uh, so that generation, uh, the millennial in Italy, so in, that was young in between uh, end of 80s and the 90s, has been particularly unlucky, because uh, the great uh, moments of Adriano Panatta where all of the Davis Cup were too far. So it was mid-70s. Uh, the times of uh, uh, Schiavone, uh, Pennetta, uh, not mentioning Fognini, but anyway, that was too far, 2010. We, got, we, as kids, as young guys that were getting passionate to tennis, we didn't have a single satisfaction from Italian tennis players for, I can't tell you how long. Look, we were looking at, uh, in Egypt. We are talking about Italy. Italy is not only one of the eight uh, country, eight biggest countries in the world, G8. It's also one of the great sports um, supremacies in the world. In football, we know is the number three, number two, number four, whatever it is. But anyway, it's there. But if you look, what is giving the strength of a country in terms of sport is the uh, medallion at the Olympic Games. So Italy, obviously, is shifting from one position to the other, but it's shifting between uh, the bottom of the top 10 and the beginning of uh, between uh, top 10 and top 20. So it's shifting between 8 and 12 positions. Well, when it, we, it comes about tennis in those years, we were celebrating the quarterfinals of Gianluca Pozzi. Uh, I don't remember if it was at Wimbledon or Australian Open. Quarterfinals! And it was once every eight years, once in a decade. Quarterfinals! Even Latvia won a Grand Slam <laughs> tournament. Quarterfinals! Can you imagine? And also, the thing that has been... Because if you look, uh, it's not about telling about the tennis movement, but it's about the fans and about uh, 
the passion and about the attention. What is shaping the most is the Davis Cup. Now, since a long time now, the Davis Cup has, has crashed in interest. They are trying to revive now. But until, I would say, late 90s, early 2000s, Davis Cup was absolutely there at top with the big events of the season. And Italy, in the weekend of Tennis Cup, was absolutely stopping to watch. It was exactly as the yeah. Italy national team in football was playing. Absolutely the same. So when Italy was crashed in Tennis Cup, in Davis Cup, also it was coming out as a, a national... Uh, uh, how can I say... Um, uh, national uh, humiliation. Yeah. So we all remember the humiliation of Maceió when we lost against Brazil of uh, uh, a still unknown Guga Querten. We remember the humiliation in Nantes when we lost the semi-final against France uh, with Guy Forget uh, leading the comeback from 2 near to 2 three for the first Davis Cup final of Italy after uh, uh, 20 years. So, Davis Cup was the main focus. So, if I had to say the very first... Uh, because you were asking the Italian tennis player, yeah. right? Yeah. If I had to say the very first Italian tennis player that gave me uh, vibes, emotion, uh, that made me... Uh, yeah, that, that made me shake, it was Paolo Canet. I don't know how many people remember him, probably only the very deep, passionate about tennis remembering. He never really achieved anything in the ATP tournament. Yeah. Um, maybe won a couple of tournaments, don't remember exactly. Uh, and I think the best position he achieved was the number 18. Again, another huge, I don't know if you know that from abroad, but that was the real taboo of tennis. Every male tennis player in Italy that was trying to get to the top was touching the number 18, the, the fucking number 18, and then was falling. <laughs> Cane, Camporese, Furlan. Literally, it was, a, it was absolutely a curse. It was like, yeah. it's unbelievable. Just get until 17. Please, just break this taboo. So, yeah. Paolo Cane, there are some uh, Davis uh, Cup round. Uh, played by Cane in Cagliari, in Roma, in Napoli, between uh, 87 and 90, that were absolutely unbelievable. Then I liked a lot Camporese, uh, Renzo Furlan, Gianluca Pozzi, uh, although I have to say the real love was when uh, the girls went in. Francesca Schiavone uh, was fantastic. Uh, probably my... My favorite overall is Roberta Vinci. But I would say Roberta Vinci and Francesca Schiavone yeah. the best. Just imagine that, and then I will give you back the, the word because on one hand where uh, I've talked a lot. Imagine that when Francesca Schiavone won the Roland Garros, that for yeah. us, guys, it was the first slam tournament for Italy after uh, 34 years. Yeah. It's just unbelievable to imagine how big it was. And beat Sam Stoza. Uh, she beat Sam Stoza in the final, so we were all yes. going for the Australian. <laughs> I was getting to that point yeah. because uh, wait, you but you both are with Italian roots, right? Yes, yeah. So I'm Italian yes. Croatian, and Joel's Joel's fully Italian. Okay, but so you were still rooting for the Australian? Yeah, still, yeah. We're born here, so you, so. You <laughs> bastard! You <laughs> bastard! You had so many. You had. Uh, uh, Pat Rafter, you have Mark Philippoussis. Uh, you couldn't leave uh, one to us. <laughs> well, uh, uh, luckily we got it. Yeah. Uh, but imagine, uh, so uh, not only was the first tournament, but actually it was also the first final, uh, slam final for Italy after 33 years. Mm. So that's how big it was. And imagine I was living in London because in that moment I was doing an internship at CNN. And uh, um, I remember it was uh, the last Saturday before, if, I, if the, my memory is not tricking me, it was the last, uh, the last Saturday 
before I would fly to Johannesburg for the World Cup 2010. So uh, I was finishing the internship and I was starting to cover uh, the World Cup for CNN. And so this was this uh, lonely uh, Londonian Saturday, uh, summer Londonian Saturday. And I said, no, damn, this is special. This is special. I should do something special. Mm. But what I know, what I could find in London was something special. So I found the special thing on how to watch and cheer and celebrate in case that Francesca would win. Francesca that now, by the way, got a bar 50 meters, 500 meters far from where I'm speaking. She's oh, no. running this, uh, this cafe. It's unbelievable. The, the life is, can be really unbelievable. Well, what I did, I looked around, and I, I think it was in Sloan Square, if I'm not mistaken. I chose this walkabout. It's walkabout. The name of Australian uh, uh, pubs chain. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I chose the walkabout because I said I want to be the Australian and I want to go in the <laughs> cave of the Australians to celebrate on their face because they, they were still hammering on us saying, "Oh, you cheated with Fabio Grosso penalty," and we won. I was there with, with my Italian flag. It was special and brilliant. Oh, it's uh, fantastic. I think it's it's fantastic that uh, Francesca Scavone and Sara Arani have really inspired yeah. the, the new generation of, of tennis players, you Giovanni, uh, like uh, Yannick Sinner and also Lorenzo Mossetti, Jasmine Paolini. Um, yeah, I mean, they're great. Are they, are they uh, growing in stature in Italy? Like, are their names becoming more famous at the moment? Uh, yeah, look, uh, it, Italy always had one male tennis player that was leading the pack, even if, as I said, was uh, getting to the uh, number 18 milestone, boom, and falling. To the name I mentioned before, I should add uh, Andrea Gaudenzi, the current uh, yep. ATP president, and Filippo Volandri. Uh, Pippo, too, yes. played fantastic games in Rome against Federer, made dream. Gaudenzi uh, led Italy to the Davis Cup final in 1998, which is still the sole Davis Cup final uh, Italy played the last 43 years, if I'm not mistaken, 44. Um, but it was always like one player in that moment and then some few others shifting between 50 and 100. Nobody, as I said, uh, never even dreaming to go over a round of 16 at ATP. Uh, things, because before Sinner and Musetti or uh, Ravaglia, now we should pay respect, things start to change with Fognini. Because for how moody uh, could be and with temperament could be Fognini, anyway, first of all, is a uh, bloody good entertaining uh, guy to watch. <laughs> yeah. But not only for all his antics. I mean, the tennis for me is what he's playing uh, is uh, so charming. Yeah. You have a much stronger players, but you get bored. You watch for Nini, the variety of his solution is always entertaining. Always. I mean, for Nini has been not only entertaining, but also the first one able to uh, fight uh, the big ones uh, having a real possibility to do so. Uh, not only, actually, he went even uh, quite up in the uh, ATP ranking. He entered mm -hmm. the top 10. Yep. And that is something because it didn't happen uh, to Italy since uh, uh, Panatta and Barazzuti time. Uh, so, uh, Fognini, even if he never uh, won uh, a a slam anyway he won a master 1000 he won uh, monte carlo yep. so he raised the bar for uh, uh, for italian uh, uh, italian male tennis if we talk about males yep, no. if we talk about girls it's completely the moment that in 2016 if i'm not mistaken i don't want to mis mistake yeah 2016 um the uh, uh, the females uh, win the Federation Cup, Yeah, that is a game changer. 
because it's true that Fed Cup is not important as Davis Cup or anyway is not historical as uh, Davis Cup. But in that more, I can say basically it started to be important as Davis Cup by the end of nineties. We can say. And when the girls were able to win it, uh, that was a huge game changer. It's not a coincidence that then uh, the big results came after that because it gave uh, a confidence uh, to, I believe, all the girls that they could they could have. That. Because, you know, uh, even girls, we had Raffaella Reggi in 1986. She played, uh, I remember if it was final or semi-final uh, of Roma, uh, Roma International. And that was the last big result. And then we had some random uh, result from... Uh, we had some very good one. Uh, uh, Cecchini was good. Uh, Golarza had some good results, but never something consistent along the years. When in 2006 happened this, is a game changer for all uh, Italian tennis. I can, I can say that smoothly, clearly... Uh, Italian tennis is the one where the girls have absolutely made more for the movements than the boys, like without no doubt at all. Yep, and like it seems like that, especially as you mentioned, Schiavone winning, and then that that 2015 US Open final between Roberta Vinci and um, and Flavia Pinetta when Vinci took out Serena Williams, who hadn't lost the Grand Slam match all year, to have an all Italian final in a Grand Slam. What exactly did that mean to you and, and the country as a whole in terms of a sporting well, landscape? Uh, I, that is more uh, than all the others because Schiavone puts back Italy on the map of tennis. But see, Schiavone was important more from us, for us than for the rest of the world mm. because the rest of the world, I mean, Again, Schiavone is one of the most entertaining, has always been one of the most entertaining to watch. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, uh, I don't remember if it was Sampras or Federer saying that the two players uh, never wanted to miss a game was, uh, and he mentioned one man, I don't remember whom, I think it was uh, Santoro, which was yeah. my favorite as well, yeah. or, and the other was Francesca Schiavone. Uh, totally. Um, but in 2010, see, the, the, the year later, uh, uh, Schiavone lost to Nali. Uh, two years later, then Errani go to, goes to final and lose to Sharapova. Uh, still, there was a movement, but anyway, one slam is not changing anything to the world. Yeah. Uh, Ostapenko wins for uh, Latvia, Muguruza wins for Spain. Whatever uh, is the county that cares the most and the tennis fans. But that moment when, uh, first of all, there is an all Italian final in New York. But I can tell you that more important than the, than the all Italian final was the semi final of Vinci against uh, Serena Williams. I don't think that there is a single tennis viewer that would debate with that. And actually, uh, even uh, as an event, it's true that Pennetta could count in his cabinet the, the US Open Cup and Robertina can't. But Robertina can have that moment. In that moment, all the world was watching. All the world was yep. watching that because all the world was waiting for that moment that still didn't happen. Well, in that moment was Serena Williams doing... Uh, the Grand Slam. Now is Serena Williams reaching the 24 or beating the 24 of Margaret Smith Court. But all the world was waiting for that. Imagine that, uh, what was two weeks earlier, Gazzetta dello Sport, every Saturday, is releasing a magazine, okay? Like L'Equipe is releasing a weekly magazine. The cover page of, I still remember, the cover page of that uh, um, week mag Gazette of Sport magazine was Serena Williams with her uh, quest for the Grand Slam. It was the event that all the world was waiting. And Roberta Vinci goes there 
and ruined the party for everybody. It was so good. The <laughs> ruined the party was so good. Oh, it was great. Like everyone was pointing there and saying, "You step aside and leave the the way for the greatest." We all are waiting for that. And she was so little, uh, tiny, with uh, no history. I mean, she got history, obviously, but not like uh, as it would be a Sharapova. Or as it would be a Venus, or as it would be a Justina Nen, or whatever. No history if you compare. And uh, little, uh, much less athletic, and everything. And with a fantastic game of tennis, and with a great, even careless mind. I mean, nobody will ever forget uh, her uh, echoing uh, gesture to the uh, central, uh, um, to the central ground, asking. Uh, for uh, to the Alter Stadium, sorry, uh, asking for a cheer for her saying, and she's screaming in Italian to the public, do it to me too, do it to me too. It was it was fantastic. She did it in style. She was not arrogant. She was, and in fact, the crowd start after because obviously she, they were crying for Serena, but they were loving her because they respected the way she uh, stood over all these difficulties. It was like the slam had to be of uh, Serena. And I have to say that probably this is the best way for Italians to perform. Yeah. When Italians are ruled out, is the best way for Italians to perform. It reminded a lot the World Cup of 2006, when the Cup had to be awarded to Zidane that was ending his career. And the Italian arrives there and they ruin the party. So, yeah, so Robertina in, in the heart. No, oh, Tancredi, I have to ask because you, you mentioned Francesca's cafe. Uh, what is the best thing on the, on the menu? Is it a, a coffee or, or uh, you know, something you can eat? Uh, no, no, absolutely. She's doing, she, it's a fantastic cafe. It's something particular. She's doing this uh, uh, thing very sophisticated. Uh, like uh, uh, bio um, bio cafe brasserie where you can eat natural things uh, it's also bakery you can uh, uh, take away things that are natural and everything you know i i actually the thing is that i i feel uh, i don't feel calm to go there because for me it's uh, <laughs> when i see her it's like i mean it's for how uh, down to earth she is, and she's down to earth because she's serving uh, behind the counter. So imagine how down to earth she is, mm -hmm. and that's a choice, mind. That's a choice. It's not like uh, uh, oh things went bad with her with business. She's starting all over. No, um, unfortunately, uh, Francesca had a bad uh, adventure. Uh, uh, she overcame uh, um, a tumor. Uh, so oh, uh, that had uh, stopped there for a while and uh, she resumed back her life and it was her choice. I said, I want to have something different. I want to do a different life in this moment. And so she had, she, and actually it's even nice because it's not a tennis cafe or a sports bar, not at all. But anyway, inside she did like... Uh, 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 the furniture and everything are all, there is some uh, um, wooden uh, tennis racket uh, hanged on the wall, but not like as it would be a sports bar yeah. or hard rock cafe, whatever, just hanging and showing. Like very um, integrated and harmonic with the rest of the bar. So it's a very nice place. But for me, when I always, when I say, I always think, wow, it's Francesca. <laughs> I would, I would probably do the same thing. There's a few athletes um, that, I, that I would get very starstruck by. But um, Tancredi, before we do let you go, um, let, uh, let's hear your French Open picks. Who do you think will win the men's draw and the women's draw? Uh, okay, okay. So, you know, the main, uh, the main question is... Uh, how, how much the weather will affect the situation. Because uh, I don't know if you ever spent time in Paris, but uh, the weather in Paris is uh, hopeful even in July. Everywhere in July. Okay, in Australia, 
July in Europe is uh, uh, what is it, February? January, January, yeah, yeah, January yeah, in Australia. Yeah. So uh, um, the the strange thing of uh, of uh, of Paris is that the weather is awful in July too. But but anyway, even when it is Rolangaro, May June, you have hope to anyway have at least eighty percent of the days. Uh, uh, with uh, with uh, well, I would say with uh, uh, we without without water at least without rain. Uh, so yeah, that is one thing. But now it's completely different. So uh, in a normal situation, I would say Rafa Nadal, and probably I still say Rafa Nadal because probably it was always warming up in yeah. Rome, yeah. even though. Even though it was really worrying the way he lost in Rome, it was like, mm. to be honest, when there wasn't an injury in the middle, I never saw Rafa Nadal so uh, helpless, I yeah. would say. But I still go with him. In my opinion, is uh, yeah, he was calibrating his effort, uh, and uh, yeah, and you know, it's not like many shots are left. With women, uh, you know, uh, it's uh, first of all, I'm very happy that Trevisan, Martina Trevisan, yep. uh, made the cut after, um, and it was a it was a, a surprise when she had beaten Camilla Giorgi. It was yep. a derby. I watched Martina Trevisan at the Rome uh, Rome International, especially in double, and she's of that kind of girls that. In tennis, Italian uh, women uh, gave vibes uh, and passion uh, on on the court. She had a strange story, and still, so far, she never made the cut in singles. But I think she could have it. I mean, now she's uh, playing Coco Golf, so it's a completely mm-hmm. different uh, uh, story. But anyway, okay. If I have to choose one, I can't go to Serena with Serena Williams. Too many times I've been uh, disappointed. It's uh, you know, in the last four years, has been always so random with women tournaments. Yeah. I'm undecided between uh, between Pliskova. Uh, yeah, I would say with Pliskova. Right. I would go with Pliskova. Yeah, yeah. She she showed good shape. Uh, I will go with Pliskova. All right, perfect. So we've got Rafael Nadal and Karolina Pliskova to win the French Open by Tancredi Palmieri. Thank you so much for joining us here on on Breakpoint. You are one of the biggest journalist names in Italy, and it's a pleasure that you've come on our podcast. And we've got to chat tennis with you. Your passion for the sport is wonderful, and we hope that more people can share that. And hopefully Italian tennis can prosper over the next few years with some big guns like Sina, Musetti, and Cocciaretto as well in on the women's side. Cocciaretto as well on the women's side and, and Camilla Giorgi Giorgio still playing. Yeah, and, and don't forget Marco Cecchinato, of course. That 2018 <laughs> semi-final at the French. Unbelievable footage. Tancredi Palmieri, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I hope that it, me, it met exactly what where you were looking for about Italian tennis. Tancredi Palmieri there, Joel. Seriously, how good was that chat? He dropped the F-bomb. He called us bastards. It was <laughs> it was one of the best chats we've ever done on this show before. He was fantastic. He's eccentric, and we absolutely love it. He's such an eccentric character, isn't he? And uh, expected nothing less, and it's exactly what we got. So, yeah, bloody happy, and obviously we're very thankful for um, we're very thankful of Tancredi for his time. Yep, and for someone that's, you know, as big as he is in Italy to, to come on our humble little podcast is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, yeah, we do appreciate it. Hopefully we can chat to him again very soon if an Italian does win a slam. So fingers crossed. But it is time for our favorite segment of the week, the Benoit of the Week. And, Joel, who does it go to? Uh, yeah, so this week, Benoit of the Week. We were talking a bit about this previous to the show and even just before, literally five minutes ago when we were off air. Um, but I think Benoit of the week this week is going to go to the Wilson tennis balls because there has been a lot of talk about them. Uh, and a lot of people seem to have differing viewpoints about them. At one point we thought they were faster then we thought they were slower, but now, 
there seems to be a uh, a consensus emerging. So I think uh, we're going to give the Wilson balls Benoit of the week. Yep, I think probably deserve. They've uh, copped a fair bit of flack this week. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. You can hear more of the chat about the balls on the show that me and you do with uh, Mark Zafoulis for The Tennis Menu. You can follow them at The Tennis Menu on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and then on their YouTube channel as well where you'll see all of the videos, the daily French Open shows there. But Joel Frucci... Thank you very, very much for your efforts today. We've plugged through. We've, um, we've had a couple of Zoom issues, but we've got there. <laughs> yeah, we got there in the end, but uh, I think we've uh, we've done a pretty good show. I think so as well. Tancredi was uh, – I'm, I'm so happy that – I can't wait to go back and listen to this interview again. Um, and Steve from Ace Tennis Previews, thank you as well. You're an absolute superstar, and I'm sure we will have you on again very, very soon. But, Joel, thank you for your efforts, mate. No worries, mate. See you soon. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast. We're all there. You can subscribe on our podcast channels on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Wooshka as well. Wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. So plenty to get through. Another big fortnight of tennis is underway. Roland Garros, the final major of the year, will be back next week to review the opening week in a bit of the tournament, and hopefully we've got some more exciting results to come your way. Val Febo and Joel Ferrucci joining you every week on Breakpoint Podcast.